Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. Our goal for everyone everywhere to follow Jesus. So that means you and your friends and their friends and everyone else. Let's get deeper. Hey, Purpose people, welcome to the Purpose Podcast. It's episode seven. I'm Jarrett Lamaster. Uh, we're about to have a really great conversation about what Glenn talked about on Sunday last week, uh, which was the Holy Spirit. He did the last sermon in a series called the Forgotten God series, uh, based on the book by um, by uh, Francis Chan. I think forgotten. We we stole that name from Francis Chan, and uh, we procured that name from Francis. I shouldn't say stole. We're Christians, people. We're Christians. We don't steal. Actually, we steal all the time. <laughs> We're flooding Francis Chan. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, so uh, we are about to have that conversation. It's April 6th. It's Palm Sunday weekend. So come on down and uh, see some palm branches. We're going to sing Hosanna and some, some other Hosanna-y songs. And um, anyway, so come down and worship with us on Sunday if you can. I have with me my, my really good friend uh, who's adjusting his microphone right now um, and just kind of throwing it around. Making all kinds of noises. Uh, it's Caleb Spencer, everybody. Thank hey, you. Hey, Caleb. What's Thank going you. on, it's man? It's good to be here, Jarrett. Um, it really is good. Yeah, we you should probably good. mention the fact that we just erased 40 minutes of this yeah, podcast Yeah, so this already. is our second attempt at, Round this, two. <laughs> at this podcast. So, you know, we are we are sweating for you guys, okay? We're working hard so that we can have this podcast. <laughs> and uh, Thank anyway. you, GarageBand, for giving us a second chance. You know what? I would say no thank you, GarageBand. I'm angry at them right now because you can't erase and bring things back. Yeah. So anyway, um, well, hey, well, let's get let's get started. We're going to talk about Forgotten God. It's going to be awesome. Well, first of all, wait, what did you do last week? You went to a theology conference, didn't you? Like yourself, I was right. with. Actually, it was this week. Really, it was um, APU had a theology conference Monday and Tuesday, and um, my parents are here this week, and so it's spring break for my kids, and so we. Mm. You got very NPR just a mm, second ago. Did I? I got. Very NPR-ish. Yeah, yeah this My was, uh, parents are here this week. My parents are here this week. This is Ira Glass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, so your parents are here. You my went pa- to I'm trying conference. to. I'm working on my slow <clears throat> and ponderous voice. Is it working? It's working really well. Without the highs. It's, pu- it's putting I'm trying me to, to sleep. I have a friend who's a voice instructor at APU. Or oh, like professor of voice. Oh, oh right. Yeah, you, you were you, telling yeah, me. Right. You know okay. Um, and I just can't imagine what she thinks about me when I talk. I always, I always, this is. She's you know, probably judging you. Yeah, that's kind of what I think. I think yeah. she's probably thinking like, man. No, she's probably Caleb's going, a nice guy, Caleb but his voice is things. really horrible. He, he really needs to things. work on his voice no, control. That's, that's BS, man. You got a great voice. Anyway. All right. So I'd say I went, you went to that theology conference. I went conference. to the theology conference with uh, yeah. Stanley Hauerwas, Jack Caputo, and Craig Keen. And cool. conversation was good. And they had conversations about Yeah, they talked about eschatology and, cool. and they talked about a bunch of stuff. Hope was good. Hope. Some heresy was thrown out. Usually, okay. Yeah. Usually, usually. At theology conferences. That's little... pretty typical of a th- of an academic theology <laughs> conference. There's always somebody that's a heretic. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, uh, well, I went to uh, Catalyst West, which was amazing. Uh, Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle, all those guys um, that are leaders in kind of the mainstream church. They do a leadership conference every year called Catalyst West. I encourage you guys to go if you can make it. Um, pretty awesome stuff. The whole theme this year was about being one as a church, being one body as a church, whether mm-hmm. or not we're part of different denominations, whether or not we're Protestant or Catholic, um, what we need to do is unify. We need to come together. And I, and man, I got a vision of the ecumenical church like I've never had before, and it really, really helped me kind of see see what we could be doing. If we pulled our resources, we could end hunger hunger on Monday, we could end medical problems on Tuesday, we could, yeah. you know, we could be fixing, we could be doing things um, to really make a difference in the world if we just pulled together, we just tithed and pulled and... Anyway, and we lived together as community, and we didn't start. We didn't. We stopped being known for what we are against, and what we're f- then, and started being known for what we're for. Um, you know, we always criticize other churches. It's stupid, man. And uh, Craig Rochelle brought this up. He said that there was one church that he's had to close down. It's one one location. It was in Arizona, and and when they went into Arizona, they had this billboard that they put up all over Arizona because they wanted to try to get. They wanted to attract people. And the billboard said, are you tired of church? So are we come to our church or whatever. Try try this. Try Life Church. And um, he said, we just, our posture was so conceited. It like put down all the other local churches in the entire city. He's like, there's only one location that I've ever had to close down. It was that one. And it's because our posture was, 
We're better than them. And we never to, we never need to be like that. We are we are purpose church, but we're also the body of Christ and the church down the street, the congregational church across the street, if they're not, you know, if they, if they haven't chucked the Bible out the window, are are part of the body. And yeah. so like that's the thing. Um you know, anyone that's kind of an orthodox Bible believing Holy Spirit filled church no matter what denomination you're from, um we are one. So I thought that was really, really encouraging. And City Harmonic wrote a song about it. If you get a check, check that out. We are one. We are one. We are one. We are all Hey, that actually, one. though, is a good transition. Because, I mean, yeah, it wasn't what Glenn was talking about. But, um, cool. but unity in the body is actually one of the kind of prerogatives of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if right. uh, that's not really what we're going to talk about today, I don't think. But, but the idea that what we – you're saying, like, if we sort of share something in common, I mean – one way of thinking about what the church always shares in common is the spirit, um, right? You know, so I mean, not not exclusively that, but that. Well, it's almost like the nervous it. system of the yeah. body of Christ. Yeah. So we always talk about like that yeah. that metaphor, kind yeah. of, you know, we are the hands, He's the right. head. The Holy yeah. Spirit's kind of like the nervous system telling right. us what to do. Yeah, when you read the Book of Acts, which is like one way of understanding the Book of Acts is as a kind of biography of the Holy Spirit or the hmm. um, kind of the progress of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. Like some of my, I just taught it in a class a couple of weeks ago, and some of my students brought up, and I thought this was an intriguing conversation about how people were sort of following Christ at points, but they hadn't received the Spirit yet. Um, so right. there's a couple of places where it says, you know, the believers in Antioch um, were sort of following in the way of Christ, but they kind of asked them, like, Paul, actually, no, it wasn't, it was Ephesus. No, I'm trying to remember where it was. I'm, I'm totally blanking. Anyway, Paul had come and, t- and, and um, they had received, like, the teaching, but they hadn't actually received the Spirit yet. Right, and, and they had to sort of pray for. Well, the they were Spirit. baptized in the name yeah, of the Father and the yeah, Son, but and, not the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and so they had they knew about John's baptism, right? And so they didn't yet know about um, the Spirit. So anyway, and then, and, and I think it's a kind of important point that the book makes because it shows how people can, in some sense, be like on the way, but not yet share in yeah, the not community quite. of the Spirit yet. Not so. quite there. Well, it is a progression. Yeah. It's it's like a progression in yeah. in walking with Christ. I think as a community and also as an individual. Right. I'm reading Pilgrim's Progress right now still to my kids. I'm reading the young Pilgrim's Progress. It's really great. And yeah. the, the boys are loving it. Is it the Lego version? I know. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Bunyan yeah. Lego book. Yeah, no, but it's it's really cool. Bunyan is it, it's just a really interesting uh progression. Each each character in there that's on the path that is a pilgrim has a different kind of way that they go about doing it. You know, some skip the palace beautiful, some yeah, you know, fight these different battles, some don't. And yeah. so it's interesting how they walk together even though they have different battles and different things. Um okay, so Glenn talked about this. He so the first point that we wanted to bring up today, um, the what what he was talking about, how do we maintain the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? And what did he say? He's, he had three points. What do you think, Caleb? Yeah, yeah, he was this is two weeks ago now, right? And he yeah. talked about how the Holy Spirit is maintained. I guess actually I have it down as three or no, I guess I have it as four points. So he first talked about how we need to confess our sins, and the, mm-hmm. oftentimes the Holy Spirit, you know, leaves the driver's seat. The analogy that he was using because we've chosen to follow something else. So we now we're talking that. individually, but what about as a community? Yeah, and I, I mean that's interesting in light of what you're just talking about with your conference. I mean that the individual needs to confess its, you know, your personal sin, but also the church too. Like if we are going to be guided by the Spirit. Um, it's interesting. How does a collective confess? Right. Um, I mean, I guess the answer to that is both. I mean, in in certain traditions, people confess every week as part of worship, for example, and right. And like that includes a kind of tradition. corporate confession. But it, it is a kind of in the corporate confession, everyone sort of collectively um, can 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 confess not uh-huh. just personal sins, but how we as a collective, like you were saying, with um, is it Craig? Craig Rochelle. Yeah, like Craig's point is that the church as a body has to has to in some sense confess its failure to be what it needs to be. Well, yeah, and I think one of the places where where we currently need to be confessing is in this division. Yeah. Exactly. In Protestantism especially yeah. where we've kind of splintered out. Right. We need to not be divided. And those are individual but they're yeah. also collective sins. I mean Yeah, so that would be a collective sin. Yeah, like right. so us being divided is a collective yeah. sin, us us being com- competitive with other churches is right. a collective sin. Yeah, and um, so the next right. thing Glenn said, and I mean, this also I think has both individual and collective aspects to it, is that we should desire um, the Holy Spirit's reign, or that we should like want the Holy Spirit to be guiding individually and collectively, you know, the work of our church. And yeah, and uh, you know, that sounds like an obvious point, but it's not that obvious, right? Like, there's lots of other things we could desire than that God would actually do what He wants 
through his spirit in and through us um, individually and collectively. Like, well, it seems to me like it's, it has to be a discipline yeah. um, of us like constantly kind of coming back to, okay, what I really desire is right. because a lot of times these super superficial desires enter into our lives and our hearts. Like yeah. we're like, okay, what I really want is a good house. What right. I really want, but is I'm supposed kids. to say, really I want. want God to rule in my life. Right. <laughs> so, you know, no, I want, exactly. I want Jesus and success or I want right. Jesus and not Jesus as success. Jesus as success. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Somebody write that down. <laughs> Jesus as success. That is like, that's going to be the name of our podcast. Yeah, well, I, I, I published an article or a chapter in a book uh, with some friends um, just a couple of years ago now. I think it came out in 2015 or 14. And I mean, the title of the book, that's why I'm mentioning it, seems relevant. It's called Faithful is Successful. Yes, and I love it's, that. It's a book about, it's mainly academic. Oh, no, that's not true. I guess it's not academics. Some people are artists, uh, a couple doctors, um, a lawyer, and then s- s- um, I'm trying to think of anyone else. Is there's a musician, a guy who's a, a composition, cool, um, a, a composer, and a, um, That's good. Uh, conductor? a carny conductor, right? Oh, yeah. a conductor. Yeah, you know, <laughs> left-handed, an, an acrobat, <laughs> an acrobat. Yeah, he's and a carny, <laughs> and an elephant trainer. But they all wrote about in various ways how their worlds encourage them to think of something else uh-huh. my world in my chapter encourage them to think of something else as success than following Christ and they're all Christians so right so how do they sort of intertwine their own narrative how do they desire sure. first for Christ preeminent and then their career or their right. calling to be a means to Christ's purpose Christ's right. work in the world so and so so far what we've got is this we've got to maintain an indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit um, First, I think, I mean, one of the things that we didn't talk about is we, we have to recognize where we're off. Yeah. And I think that's one of the yeah. things we start. We recognize where we're off. Yeah. Then that we comes confess, before confession. We confess those things. So it's yeah. like conviction confession right. almost. So you have to be convicted. And that comes from the Holy Spirit too, honestly. Right. Yeah. You can't kind of, sometimes you don't even know until right. God reveals that. But it comes from, I mean, it comes from the Holy Spirit working in other people as well. So then, yeah, so you've got conviction, confession. Then we've got wanting Christ to have lordship, wanting you know, what is it? What does he say? Desire and seeking Christ's lordship in your yeah. life, the Holy Spirit's lordship. Then what's the third point? Uh, yielding ourselves. So like, yeah, like submitting to that. And I, I mean, again, like I think one of the things we, we would like to think that our natural actions are just in line with what God wants in our life. Like what? And I think ideally that is true. Like in, in I mean, I think Glenn brought this up maybe a month ago in pre actually it might've been part of this series, but he was talking about how, what, you know, in one sense, what we mean by um, eternal life or the life to come or heaven is just being able to do what we want. But the point is that there's conformity between what we want and what God would want. There's no dissonance in the sense that sin is not part of our existence anymore. And in a, in a yeah. pure state of human nature, you would just do what you want, but what you want would actually be the right thing. Your well, desires think, would be right. Right, and we have this. We have this kind of. We talked about this in the last time. The last time we did this episode seven, but <laughs> <laughs> episode seven, yeah. the beta. Yeah, this <laughs> is beta. The beta alpha. Version. When we did alpha. <laughs> yeah, when we did. Yeah, that so one. so there's this whole concept in the in our Christian culture that God kind of exists to serve you and to to accomplish your goals, to fulfill your desires, to make your life better, to give you better opportunities. Um, to open God up, to me. open up doors, like you know, and I and I think as an actor, I run into it all the time. There's Christians that have this crazy theology that has to do with themselves and God fulfilling their own. It's it's kind of like your best life now, like where it's like God exists to support you and to make you better and to make you awesome. Are we including resources we don't want people to read? <laughs> yeah, don't read that. Anyway, so yeah, uh, but yeah, so it, it's not that. It, what it is. Is it's a way? I mean, God. When God gets a hold of your life and you're trying really hard to please Him, there are going to be things that you are not allowed to do yeah. in our culture. There's going to be things that God asks you to turn down. Some of those things are really like logical things. Like obviously, this is not in line with the Scripture. There's other things though where God's going to be like, no, I don't want you to be right. More not successful. necessarily obvious sin. Yeah, I don't want you to have this job that pays you more because it provides more for your family. That's not what I'm looking for from you. Right. Um, and some of you, it's like, well, I just want to fulfill my dreams. And it's like, you, and God's like, you just need to get a job at McDonald's. Yeah. And, and you know what I'm saying? So whatever it is that God's asking you to do, it's counter, usually it's counterintuitive, it's countercultural. And um, I just want to, I mean, gosh, I run into it all the time. I don't know, should I tell that story? I was wondering if I should tell the story. I could shorten it. Um, but yeah. basically, uh, over the years as an actor, I've had to turn down roles that other people would have said, oh, why would you do that? 
And it's because the Holy Spirit, God has asked me uh, to say no to certain things. And honestly, it's getting easier. Last week, I got offered a, a job on a TV show that I worked I worked with this this production company before. And they offered me this job. And I said, okay, well, I, I, can't, I can't kiss anyone, though. I can't make out with anybody. And so they went back. They tried to fix the script. They tried to do all these things. Eventually, they called me back and they said, listen, we can't fix the script. Um, so we're going to have to go with a different uh, actor for this. But I got to tell you, this is amazing. I've never seen anybody do this. Like, why in the world? Who are you? Why are you doing this? And, and eventually it got down to it's because of my faith. It's because of, you know, I've got to be consistent. I, I actually have a commitment. I have a covenant with my wife. And the lady was like, you have a covenant? What's that? <laughs> She's like, I can't believe you used that word. What is that word? She's like, people need to be more like that. And, and it's, it's interesting when the, when the world sees a Christian following what Christianity is in love and not like in judgment. Then oftentimes they're drawn to it. They're not. They're not. You know. They're not repelled by it. And a lot. And you know, we always kind of think, oh, the world's going to just reject us. And you know, out. Yeah, we might not have good opportunities, but what we get to do is we get to see people, and they smell the aroma of Christ, and then maybe they're drawn in. Well, uh, you're that. talking here about yielding yourself to God, right? And that, yeah, so that that's seems the third like point. yielding. But at the same time, it also goes back to what you said before, which is that you know we need to be known by what we're for. There'd be kind of two ways of talking about what you just said, and mm-hmm. one is I'm for, you know for obedience and also for my covenant with Christina, which is very different than saying I'm against making out in movies, you know, or, yeah. in, 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 I mean, it, they're the same thing in one sense. I mean, they're well, just two sides of that same coin. Well, if I was single and I could, you know, I, I wouldn't have a hard time kissing people yeah. or kissing a woman, I guess, I guess in a, in a, in a TV show. Thanks for clarifying. That. Yeah. <laughs> well, I said people and that includes everyone. Um, I would have a hard time the other way, but I would say, yeah, I, I would say, you know, kissing a person, if I wasn't, if I wasn't married, you know, in a TV show, wouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Now, like, you know, sex scenes, things like that. Obviously, I would, as a Christian, I don't think that's something we can do. But, but, um, but yeah, I mean, but because of my wife, because of my covenant, those those are things that I can't do. Yeah. And even turn around, Jake, Christina filled uh, that spot. Like she she was the person I kissed at the end, uh, because she kind of looked like Jen from the back and like different things. Like so, we oh, actually, that's interesting. yeah. So yeah, you had think, a body double. I, we had a body double for Jen at the very end of the movie. Huh. So pretty cool. It yeah, actually ended up working out. So confess, which means that you're convicted that your yeah your life is out of conformity with with God's call. Right. Desire that conformity and submit yourself or yield to that conformity, which mm-hmm. is, and if you do that, the last thing we haven't really talked about yet is that you then can or maybe even should be convinced that the Spirit is leading you, or collectively also. Like if the church is in a regular pattern, if a body of believers, you know, is in a regular pattern of 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 being convicted of confessing, of desiring conformity with God's, you know, plan and, and 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 way in the world, and then also submits and yields itself to that plan. Um, which again, it's interesting how much that just looks like a cycle, right? Because it does. We're so good at getting out of God's plan, or getting, you know, I mean, and, and we use the word sin, and it, it invokes all these sort of, you know, like, oh, you're doing dirty stuff. But that's actually, I mean, and in in the Presbyterian um, Catechism. It describes sin as the want of conformity to the will of God, which is like the lack of conformity. And it's interesting, right? It's just like an right. analogy, like from like kind of, almost like a line, right? Like it's just a deviation from a line. Which well, is, and Hebrews says that it's it's anything that doesn't come from faith, right? And so it, it's much less. I mean, it might be really salacious, and it might be really yeah. you know might be. But murder, it's actually a really broad. But definition. it can <laughs> just be simply desiring your desires, which could be you know something that in one sense seems like it's not like a traditional. Ten Commandment violation or anything. I want to do this thing instead of that thing, and and God's right. calling me to to you know on the right, and I want to go on the left, and it's just choosing the left over the right, even though maybe both of them are good. And you yeah. know, I mean, I'm teaching Saint Athanasius this week, and one of the things he says, and 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 this was a kind of truism of the Church Fathers, but Athanasius says, um, following again, like what Augustine and others say, yeah. he says that that goodness is the only thing that is and evil is just a derivation or a decline from the good there's no or a twisting of yeah, it just See, a Lewis distortion about that too. Yeah, yeah, and that's i mean yeah. they get that in part from plato and aristotle but it's also a deeply christian idea that mm-hmm. that actually you know so that when we choose sin what we're doing is choosing something that's good but not for us, <laughs> or when, not when at this was, time. When was Athanasius? Athanasius is um, okay. writing. He's he's actually part of the Council of Nicaea, 
Okay, so he's writing so in the three twenties. He's early. Okay, yeah, so he's about yeah, three. Yeah, he's yeah, actually before say. Augustine. So he's okay. He's uh, he's the main on the incarnation is the primary piece that argues against Arianism that Jesus uh-huh. the the heresy that says that Jesus didn't actually have a body because God couldn't be embodied. So the nice the Council of Nicaea is the one that that decides. Um, in in the the concept of the hypostatic union that that Jesus is fully God fully man against either the heresy that he just appeared and this is Nicaea one three twenty five yeah, yeah three twenty five Nicaea, Nicaea one uh-huh. Pope Sylvester and and the idea is that he church history everybody this is church history you need to know this <laughs> yeah sorry too much of a digression this wasn't part of the beta or the alpha this version. wasn't alpha this is beta so confess way. be convicted confess desire that you be in conformity yield or submit to that conformity and then be convinced that you actually can follow the spirit's lead like actually believe right. you can i mean that that last part is, i think is the hard thing to maintain when you think about that cycle mm-hmm. if you know that you are drawn to distortion or to not conform you you always kind of doubt yourself and and i think that's what i really like that glenn made that point that we still have to believe that the spirit actually has freed us from captivity to that nonconformity, right. that we actually can conform. Like that's, I mean, not that we always do, but that we can. Because yeah, our can. experience has taught us that we often don't. We often don't. Or our experience in, in the world, I mean, I, I think if you've been raised as a certain kind of Christian, right. you've been raised to think you often don't. But other people have been raised to think just the opposite. I'm always doing the right thing. You yeah, know? I'm constantly doing the yeah, right like thing. We, well, that's kind of a secular humanist thing. Yeah, like, exactly. There's no, whatever, there's no right or wrong, just whatever, you're, that's a whatever philosophy you want. That if it is feels pervading. good, do it. If well, it it's, an under, fine. it's an underpinning philosophy of, of, our, of, our, of the current worldview, the secular worldview, that has kind of found its way into the church, yeah. too. There's, there's kind of... There's a lot of overlaps there. Yeah. And so we have to kind of make a distinction between what the philosophy of the culture is versus the philosophy of Christianity. Right. And um, But I it even say, partly comes from Christianity. I mean, you got songs like, you know, No Longer Slave, like I'm Not Ashamed Anymore. Right. But I mean, but then you've got songs like "Prone to Wander," Lord, I feel. Yeah, it, exactly. You know. But I mean, and they're yeah. both true, right? Like they're both true. We are no longer ashamed, and we are no longer slaves. On the other hand, we do revert back to acts. Of which we should be ashamed, or maybe not ashamed, but of which right. you know for which we should confess and, and well. In repent. that process of sanctification, we tell we again we come back to sanctification, but that process of learning how to be obedient more consistently, yeah, um, kind of takes a long time, and it it eventually it kind of gets easier. Like that's well, the thing. Like and we haven't time. talked about. I mean, it's funny because we're talking about the Holy Spirit, right? But really, like what the sermon series is sort of. You could also is easily talk about it as a sermon series on sanctification. Yes. You know, so even though. You totally should. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's on. It, I mean, maybe part of what that means is that, or, or as you said before, faith, right? Like to be faithful is to be sanctified, is to follow the Holy Spirit. Like they're actually yeah. all the same thing. They're different ways of talking about the same thing. Like full of faith means full of the Spirit means sanctified. Right. Like they're, they're actually not, you know. Which means good. <laughs> Which <laughs> like, means you know, good. They're, they're all actually... They're, so we're sanctified. We're, we're being sanctified. Yeah, yeah. We're, sa- we're sanctified. And so being that sanctified. was two weeks ago. That was two weeks. So we've got the second part is this. So, so the second part is the work of the Spirit. Right. This is last. And week. what does the work... What is the work of the Spirit? What is? What are the jobs of the Holy Spirit? What does yeah. He do in our lives? Yeah. What does He do in, yeah, in and, uh, and, the church? And Glenn Sermon this, this last week, I mean... We, was um I mean I liked how it was a kind of uh, compendium of scripture so it was like a whole bunch I mean it was you know it was like you could teach ten sermons out of it right yeah. so it was a but he talked about the comforting work of the spirit and he had like five examples or I you know I don't remember exactly I've written down but he had a number of examples for how the spirit comforts us and then he talked about teaching us and how the spirit teaches us um, and then he talked about the spirit's guiding in our lives and mm-hmm. how the spirit guides us. Um, and, you know, I mean, that story you told before about saying no to that that job, I mean, maybe because of the, the nature of that job, you know, that was a little bit easier because there was a kind of principled thing there. But right. you could also imagine if it wasn't a job that, you know, asks you to do something you you find immoral or, or, you know, maybe not immoral, but something that you're not comfortable doing because of your relationship with Christina, you still might have the spirit guide you. Be like, yeah, this isn't this isn't the job for you. It's not the right time. This is not. Right. You know, I think that was you talked about a job before that was like that. It wasn't that they were asking you to do anything you found yeah. Wrong. It just didn't. You prayed it about it. And you just right didn't thing. feel called about it. Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, that's that last one guide. And then you and I also talked about just to add to this, um, maybe for our conversation today is how the spirit convicts us, which would go back to that cycle we were talking about before, but also how, what the spirit reveals. Well, yeah. So, so conviction the, and revelation. Or, yeah. Revelation. I like that last one, too. Yeah. So we've got we've got five things that we talked about, um, which are comfort, teach, guide, convict and reveal. 
Yeah. So comfort, teach, guide, convict, and reveal. Those are the things he does in our lives, the things he does in the church. Are we supposed to pause now? For? For our messages? Don't we usually have a pause for the messages here? Like, oh. the, like the stuff for the church each week? Oh, your church. Yeah. No, um, this is a different section. Okay, never mind. Please yeah, ignore yeah. what I just said. Yeah, <laughs> disregard it. I thought after the sermon thing, we usually paused. No, we're good. Okay, we're all good. Yeah, we're just talking about it. So we got we got through the first we got through the first. Do you want a blank? Um, Do you want a point, which was text? how to maintain the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. And the infilling, and then this the second point is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's well, where we're at. I mean, we could go in any order, but I mean, it, it might be interesting to talk about the guide one first, only just because it ties back. Well. I find this really interesting because people kind of think, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak. Oh, I don't know what he sounds like. But then you start asking people, what are your experiences with God? When has God really moved in your life? We did this at small group. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of the small group, everyone's like, well, I don't know how he talks to me. But then when they start talking, they're like, well, there was this weird coincidence and this happened. And I really felt impressed on my heart to go speak to this person. And, you know, so there's all these things, these, these evidences of the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives and the voice of God being heard and obeyed in the Christian in the room. No matter what level of maturity they were at, it was like really interesting because it was obvious that God was moving and teaching and helping and guiding yeah. uh, their decision-making processes yeah. and, and also just like random things that come up. So I don't yeah. know if you saw that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, Jared's talking about our small group where we were talking recently about how um, people do or don't experience the Spirit's guiding in their lives. And... I think part of it, I mean, they, that came out in part of it. People are scared that they will sort of formulate something that seems wrong. <laughs> like they, right. like people will be like, oh, that wasn't the spirit guiding you. Or right. I think we're hesitant to sort of seem like we have special, you know, the spirit really led me because we have experience with family or other people sure. who are, you know, problematic well, Christians. Like you have that. In my case, we have an aunt that sort of has some spirit-led things that seem a little bit, you know, to be to be charitable about it, a little kooky, and and so you're hesitant to, to claim the spirit's guide. But on the other hand, it's kind of like when we fail to claim God's blessing in our lives, it it sort of doesn't negate it, but it doesn't show people that we recognize who gives blessing. If we don't talk about the spirit's work, right. I understand the humility aspect there that you want to seem like, you know, you don't have a special direct phone line into God's presence. And, yeah, but at the other extreme, it's it also suggests that we're just kind of rudderless. And well, and we got to recognize, uh, yeah, rudderless without direction. I yeah. say, I, and you know, we got to recognize too that we're part of a denomination that has a caution when it comes to this sort of thing. There are denominations that are part of the body of Christ that don't have that. There's yeah. the, the language is a lot more like it's the favor of God. He's done this for me. He's opened up this door, or you know, the Holy Spirit told me that you're going to marry me. That kind of stuff, and you know, like that that kind of thing. That kind of thing can be abused really easily, but also there's a lot of legitimacy there. Like I've I've known some very charismatic people that are super legit, and when they speak, I listen because right. I know that God's speaking. Right. Um, and so, but then there's and, and in fact, in in my charismatic days, which I still I consider myself a charismatic, um, there have been moments where God has given me words for other people. I often don't couch it that way. I would say this: "Thus saith the Lord." Yeah. You know, and then go in and say. You know, you are, you know, you need to reconcile with your father, <laughs> you know, whatever. I don't, I don't say that, but I, I just kind of say, you know, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit kind of reveals the keys to someone. They say, okay, these are, this is the key to that person's heart. Right. And, and it's like, oh, and it, and it is literally like revelation. I'm in prayer and I'll just be like, oh, this is it. Well, and I mean, and I you bring you. up, you're actually yeah. indirectly bringing up both comforting people and revealing, right. which are those other two here. And I mean, it's interesting because we are talking about it is that it's not necessarily like an act that you sort of think to yourself, okay, so I'm going to go and comfort this person with the Spirit, and I'm going to go reveal for them. I mean, it's in some ways, maybe you, you only know it afterward, right? Like, I uh -huh. mean, the work of the Spirit is not necessarily something you know you're doing when you're doing it, right? It's not, no, and, you're and right. it's not necessarily it's not an act of intention. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. it's not, you don't have to think to yourself, like, I'm going to go and give a word of, you know, it's, no, it, it's actually and you may never, ever know. Right. Like, yeah. you, you may never realize you may never that know. that's actually well, the, you're bought with a price. My, my uh, mentor always used to say you're bought with a price and, and Jesus can use you whether you know it yeah. or not or whether yeah. you want him to or not. Right. And the spirit's comfort, for example, just yeah. that uh, like it is not you who's comforting them. So if you no. if you talk to somebody in the words that you've said or or just your simple presence 
comforts them, it is not you. And in some sense, you neither need to intend exactly that, nor do you need to necessarily know that that's what you were doing. Like it's, yeah. it's functions that way because the spirit works that way. Sure. Um, and likewise with teaching and guiding, like they, you know, you, I mean, I think of this all the time. I mean, the spirit, it's a, it's a burden to teach in one sense because you wonder what you're communicating. Yeah. Um, but there's also this other piece of it, which is suggested by the Holy Spirit is working when I'm teaching too. And I mean, not yeah. just when I'm teaching things that are quote unquote directly Christian, right? Since, exactly. you know, all truth is God's truth. Whenever I'm saying anything, the spirit might be guiding somebody, you know, maybe it's some decision. And I don't know. I mean, the, there's 25 kids in my class. I have no idea where they're right. all at, or I know some things and there are times where I'm willfully trying to address things that people have talked to me about or well and those of us who are kind of in those positions where we're up front or or we get to say things or sing things like in my case i get to sing things a lot i don't get to say a lot of things but you don't know yeah you really don't know and i i feel like to be an instrument for the holy spirit to be a mouthpiece um when i'm leading worship i often i i feel like the holy spirit tells me to say things and sometimes i say them well and sometimes i don't yeah sometimes i'm stumbling all over myself and sometimes it really comes out strong and and those times when i really am confident the holy spirit's moving you, you just don't know like um you don't know exactly how he's going to use it but you just kind of say it yeah and uh i mean that's we're just talking about one particular way that god uses people to guide and it's like the holy spirit in us like speaking right. for us and through us to other people to comfort them or to encourage them or to direct them at christ you'll find that like whenever there is a word of god it, it usually points them to Christ. It points yeah. them to Christ, and it says, this is who you are in Christ, and, and that sort of thing. So Yeah, and it's interesting uh, to think of the Holy Spirit as working as a kind of intentional agent in the world, like mm-hmm. this thing that's making things happen, you know, and that's good. I mean, that you know, that it actually has intentions, which, I mean, if you just think about Scripture as an example of that, right, There's there are these authors writing, and they are inspired by the Spirit, and they end up saying what the spirit wants, which is maybe what they were trying to say, but maybe not. Well, I always <laughs> find that fascinating too, because Paul kind of makes distinctions sometimes. Yeah, like, me talking, not yeah, the this spirit. Is me, this is not the spirit. So <laughs> this is know, just my kind of advice. I kind of think, yeah, yeah. Stop, yeah. Don't well, and then messes. and of course, when we read yeah. scripture, not to get all neo-orthodox here, but I don't mean it that way. For those who don't know what it is, neo-orthodoxy is a view that scripture doesn't have meaning. It just has meaning the spirit gives to it. <laughs> um, but but there's a sense in which the spirit works to guide and teach us through other people's teaching and through the teaching of scripture. So yeah. it's not just there in the creation of scripture. It's there in the in the interpretation, reading, teaching of scripture. Yeah. Um, That's which, you know, it's, again, like not that that means that you can just take whatever you want from it you can't because it doesn't teach against itself but yeah. it actually helps us to understand itself so the holy spirit guides us and he uses a lot of ways to do that um and we talked about a lot of these ways it's imp- it's impressions in your spirit um he he uses the scripture itself and yeah. it never contradicts scripture always goes along with scripture and then there's you know other people wise counsel there's circumstantial stuff that's kind of weird there's yeah. You know, stories, there's narratives. I mean, like he speaks a lot um, yeah. and he kind of points things out and he highlights things. I, I find that it's more like I'm walking through life and he'll highlight something that kind of means something to me. Um, and he does that all the time. He'll say, OK, oh, remember, Jared, we talked about this. Yes. Oh, you see that sign over there? Yes. Oh, mm. remember that? Yes. Oh, thank you. And he kind of downloads information to you. It's like complete thoughts versus like, you know, a string of ideas or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting. How, how It's hard to explain that, but it's a way we talked about it as a voice that can be felt, but it's a voice. Yeah. It's not necessarily a voice you hear. It's a voice you feel, but it's a it's definitely a voice. Yeah. Capital V. So like. Well, yeah. and that's where it gets. I mean, talking about the spirit, you know, even when we think about all the different works of the spirit, they share in common, you know, comforting, teaching, guiding, convicting, revealing. I mean, I think voices would be a, a kind of unproblematic way of describing all of those things. Uh-huh. And yet it also shows how, like you said, it's like not really a voice. Like it's, and you know, we, we, we run into these, um, 
kind of physical problems or like material problems, which is, yeah. you know, it's not like you, you don't, do, what do you hear it? Well, yeah. yeah it's, it's in a material. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's the problems of living in a carbon based. Yeah. But I think form. people, people that's going back to our original conversation though, about like our small group is that there's a certain aspect of the spirit, which is spirit and is therefore seems a little bit fuzzy and or um, immaterial in ways yeah. that we get a little uncomfortable um, we I, we have less problems with it when, like in the example of comforting, like when we when we feel the comfort of the spirit, I don't think we have a problem with that. We just because no. it's it is a feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like I felt this. It doesn't, and it doesn't necessarily directly lead to action. It's Uh-oh. if it does, it's something else. The teaching aspect maybe is a little different. You know, if if you hear the voice of the spirit teaching you something, you know, you probably won't. Maybe you will. I don't know. As you say, you probably wouldn't ascribe to it like the Spirit taught me, but maybe we would say that. I don't know. Uh, Paul definitely did. Yeah. And so I feel like there's a precedent for us as Christians to say that the Spirit teaches us things. And I yeah, I sure. would say that in yeah. my life, that the Holy Spirit, whenever I have learned something, it's usually, whenever I've learned something spiritual, I've always been able to say, you know, not always, but I say that the Holy Spirit taught me. Um, different things. So like obedience, the Holy Spirit taught me how to be obedient or he taught me that obedience was the thing. Well, you know, at yeah, some point. yeah, it's interesting. There's almost like there's um, analogs, you know, between sort of non, there's ways of talking about the Spirit's work where we just like don't ascribe it to the Spirit. So you yeah. mentioned before, you know, being reminded of things. And and you get like thoughts and the spirits you can you can call that the spirit's work yeah or you can just call that memory right and 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 I'm not saying that that's right I mean part of what the sort of normal atheism of our culture is to make us redescribe in material or non-theistic terms yeah. things that before you could have ascribed to God right and and exactly. or other agents so you know uh-huh. that sort of I mean the really cliche version of this is the kind of the devil made me do it which is like in some sense not a false statement but in our culture it's become a kind of well, ironic tongue-in-cheek thing to say because it suggests that there's any powers other than material causation well yeah and it's the it's the divorce from it's the the divorce of God from material the material universe and it's interesting as Christians we're kind of metaphysical realists like like it talks about in the medieval kind of philosophy was a meta metaphysical realism where i mean god intentionally created this entire universe so therefore everything in the universe has meaning that's created and there's a spiritual component to everything yeah that's around us and that's kind of the way i think i'm kind of a, a medieval I, I have a medieval world yeah view, well no, funny. and if our audience wants to read about that yeah. i mean again not to like beat the c.s lewis drum but yeah but the discarded image c.s lewis exactly. is pretty His last word, pretty yeah. pretty accessible introduction to the medieval i think it isn't called a medieval worldview i think he calls it something else in the but yeah, the, it's the, a philosophy yeah that was like how the, in the culture yeah, of how the world. the world was seen uh-huh. during the middle ages which is in contrast to the renaissance and the period we live in now and well, yeah which all changed with occam and occam's yeah, razor and all that yeah stuff. and so it kind of right. and a material explanation of uh, we should have my friend tom ward who's an occam specialist oh really yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, Occam is kind of looked at as the point at which the nominal, so nominalism, yeah, kind of created a space where we were divorcing meaning from God's creation being intrinsic. Like, yeah, it's, so, it's applied to it rather than right. It's applied to it by God, ascribed by God versus um, inherent in it because He created it. Yeah. So very interesting stuff, and that which eventually philosophically led us to where we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but he was a Christian, though. Yeah. That's the thing about Occam was. He well, was no, a, I mean, like, Aris- yeah. I mean, the way that Aquinas grounds mm. theology in first philosophy, and then that most things can be known through philosophy, and then there are things that only can be known through faith, is like the emergence, in some sense, of the secular and the sacred. I mean, right. uh, at least in the way that we see it. So that, yeah. not, I mean, so, but of course, St. Thomas is like the greatest church doctor. So exactly. it's not like he set St. out Thomas to Quintus. do something unchristian, but he, no, he right. said that he set the table in some sense for, for thinking of the world in secular, well, the... not like there's a whole bunch of the world you can, and he's, and I think he's right about this. There's a whole bunch of the world that you can know through sort of natural revelation. Exactly. And then there's some things that you can only know by faith. And so I don't disagree with it, but that is also the unintended consequences of that is to grow more and more into what you can only know through non-faith and to create a division between believing and knowing, right? Which was well, not his yeah. goal. Like he wasn't saying that things of faith aren't knowledge. He right. was just, but, but the unintended consequences of that is that now we live in a world where people think if you can't offer 
evidence for it that's material, it's not real. Well, yeah, which, you know, that's all the, the scientific method and the, the, how the, the rise of science and the rise yeah. of proof and that kind of stuff, the materialistic worldview. Right. I, I, you know, I think as Christians, though, we enter into this kind of henotheistic worldview where there are these spiritual beings everywhere. There's a spiritual component to everything. It's right. almost like we go back to prior yeah. prior to that philosophy right. and we say a re-enchantment of the it's world. It's a re-enchantment of the world. Yeah. Like there's this there are there is a definite spiritual component to every single thing that we do. And we have this God who's speaking to us. We have these this spiritual being who is part of our lives, who's interacting with us all the time, which, you know, to me it's it's a way more interesting worldview, I would say, than materialism. Yeah. Well and I think you know. I mean in in my work I mean, I'm working currently in late 20th and early 21st century American culture primarily, but not exclusively. Uh-huh. And there's tons of both filmmakers. Terrence Malick, who I'm teaching this week, is a great example, um, who in some sense is actually a Christian, actually, but who are very interested in in that kind of re-enchanted world. So Terrence right. Malick and his Tree of Life, for example— it is a it's it's the title refers to two trees of life the tree of life in the garden of eden and the tree of life which is the only diagram within darwin's origin of the species and it's a it's a an attempt to to depict all of creation but also to retell the story of job this film is uh-huh. and and so it's retelling that. the story of job in terms of talking about human suffering and it's also retelling of job in the sense that it's an answer to the question why do we suffer by by actually what precisely what god does in job 38 when he shows up which is to talk about creation <laughs> you know right. which, which is to say not answer at all why people suffer but instead to talk about the great beauty and mystery of the fact that something is instead of something is not. Well, and something to that that's very interesting. Which I is think. all about enchantment, that's my point. It's all about enchantment, but it's also kind of it's interesting that he that God himself brings up creation when he says, "Okay, it's necessary for you to suffer to have a creation." Yeah. Yeah, or to I mean to have a creation, to have a material world where you can communicate with each other. Yeah. But I, um, my, the reason I mention that though is that lots of people, I mean Malik is just one of many yeah. instances are really interested now, maybe not in being medievalist, but one way of thinking right. about what postmodernism is is premodernism. You know, it's premodernism. Yeah, Jamie Smith, who's a philosopher I really like, that's what he thinks. He thinks that in many respects uh-huh. that postmodernism is a it's again not an identical resurgence of medievalism, but a return to a world in which you, at the very least, hope for enchantment well, and, and of, feel dissatisfied bad. by unenchanted or disenchanted frames. But it's also kind of Descartian, like it, so. It's Descartian where the individual ascribes meaning to everything. It's not an objective meaning that comes from a god, from a world that is created from him. It's a it's an individual meaning that comes from the person ascribing meaning, which, you know, the ultimate kind of divorce from that is the gender issue now and all that, that's kind of, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think we're kind of in that space where, where we are, we, even with Occam, it was like, no, 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 it's, it's about ascribing meaning. So the, the yeah. individual becomes the person. So that's, it's a postmodern worldview that's enchanted, but in which each person is the God of that world. And so, which is, I, but it's not, I mean, yeah. I agree for sure, but in one sense, it's, yeah. but in I think therefore I am yeah but it's almost though it's not that everybody it's that it's a sort of the reality of our condition is that we are individuals not that they're necessary it's not necessarily a celebration of that which is I think the modernist version of it is a sort of the sort of Prometheus you know right the, the, the Promethean Where the you know like mentioned. we're gonna we're gonna will meaning into the void right. yeah. it, it's a slightly different I mean it, it's not in one sense different than that and it is actually a recognition of our contingency but it's a it's a it's almost like sad about that because it knows which I think is I mean this is going back to figures within the church who are incredibly orthodox which is I think a Pascal and Kierkegaard uh-huh. who both recognize that in some sense to be a Christian is, is, is or which is to say to be a person in a fallen world is to be cut off from the ground of your being there's a reason why Kierkegaard is like the first existentialist is that to be human in a fallen world is to not be fully connected to your maker, which actually takes us straight back to the Holy Spirit. Like the, right. the, the, the incomplete infilling of the Holy Spirit is just another way of saying the existential problem, which is that we aren't yet fully sanctified, which is to say we aren't yet fully connected to the ground of our being, which uh-huh. is to say we are anxious and, and you know, right. cut off from what's what we really are. And, uh-huh. and so, and we therefore going back to your point about Descartes, we therefore have to actually, choose right we have to actually uh-huh. like in that sense it's kind of isolated it's not it's not fully isolated we have the benefit of others in the church but we still 
we don't just get to we don't just get to be ourselves, right? right. To, we don't just get to like choose whatever and desire the right things because we are aware of the possibility we might choose the wrong things. Right, right, right. And we live with that knowledge and that history. Well, and that history, well, and, and we are aware of that. But I think we're entering into a culture that doesn't have any kind of structure or any kind of no-nos or any kind of taboos. So people can pretty much choose and do whatever they want to do. There used to be a culture that kind of regulated, you know, human interaction, human human expression. Uh, so it kept it from being unhealthy or whatever, because we're kind of entering a time where I think people's expression are it, people's expression is going to be whatever they want it to be. Yeah. And there's nothing that we and the, and the highest evil will be to tell somebody that they can't express yeah. themselves. Right. Um, and so as a Christian, it's important for us to maintain that we are we have an objective reality that we live in. We have a God that's outside of us telling us what meaning is. And uh, we fit into this midi- almost a medieval worldview where it's like it's this metaphysical realism where. You know, we have this spiritual world that we live in. Um, and I mean, a different way of putting without, that. It's not without an objective meaning. Right. And a different way of putting that is that we are not just simply constructing reality. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's the a good point, point of metaphysical realism. I mean, a, a different yeah. way of saying the same thing. I mean, we the are opposite not, of metaphysical realism. We are not the is, authors of our own reality. Right. Exactly. Right. That's exactly right. That's, like, I think, as Social Christians. constructivism is that, you know, it's one thing to say that we don't, we can't live outside of a construct we create, which is, I think, actually what we mean by sin. Like the disconnect between the very logic of confession we started with right. is the very is the idea that we in some sense construct our world but we do it wrong, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's why we have to confess because we actually get it wrong. Right. But but it's a different thing to say that the way we get it wrong is in fact not as you put it lined up with some objective reality. The right. whole idea of sin is that we construct a world and we can't not and it's a good thing God made us creative constructors just like Him, uh-huh. but we were supposed to construct. A world to live in that was identical to him, right? Well, like well, we were lined up with do his it values and with him. Yeah, exactly. And in him, and not independent of him. We were not de- independent. So he the, was going to do it in right. And so it's us. not like the problem with us is the fact that we're constructive. It's that we're no. creative. The problem with it is that we are warped and that our well, creations we're don't we're match creating, reality. We, we are without God. Yeah. Trying to create our own reality. Right. And when people say, "I want to just be able to like express whatever," yeah. they're actually not expressing a falsehood. We all want to be able to just I mean what what our culture is now doing is wrong but it's not wrong intrinsically it's wrong because we are not but yet again, in a world where we're perfect but that goes back to an idea that it's it's goodness is the only reality yeah and what happens with sin is it twists goodness that's right. what you know C.S. Yeah. Lewis talks about too it twists goodness like the, yeah. the devil can't be he doesn't create he takes God's creation and he twists it so that's, I mean, gosh, this was a crazy conversation, very philosophical conversation about the way the spirits work in our lives. Well, we got off on a lot of things, but wait, guys, wait, before you're, I hear you wrapping it up. I just got to say something before okay, you wrap say, it up because you're not allowed to wrap it up just yet. No, no, you are. But um, is it recording? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it does twist goodness, and 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 I think you know, it, this also shows us why. You, you were mentioning sort of present America, I, I assume, present culture. And one of our highest values seems to be freedom, which is defined as sort of being able to do whatever you want, right? Like, well, like it's, yeah, being unrestrained. unrestrained. Yeah, people being able to do what they want. And I think it's really important to think about the fact that that's actually right. That is a right desire. The desire to be unrestrained is actually fundamental to what God made us to be, but not except that he restrained us yeah exactly <laughs> internally right like but the, the point is without sin we could always do precisely what we were made for right like no, what right. it meant to be unfallen what it means to be you know fully yeah living what it means to be christ what christ did as a fully human fully god man was only ever do what he was supposed to do which is to say he was totally free but of course what he wasn't but he was, was doing you know free he, to be obedient right exactly right like, it, he was totally constrained which is the same <laughs> as totally free and that's exactly. what our culture doesn't get is that like, is a that's a definite thing yeah, yeah that's totally constrained is actually freedom you are fully free when you are living perfectly in unity with the holy spirit perfectly in unity with the father perfectly in unity with the son and that's the opposite of just doing whatever you want but of course like the goal of the Christian life is that increasingly that Venn diagram would overlap. What you desire and what God would have you desire becomes more and more one circle as you become more in tune with the spirit, which promises to tune you. I mean, not to use a musical metaphor, but it does. It's like harmonics, right? Like you're Mm -hmm. different metaphor, but for the same idea that you're becoming more and more in line with that 
it's that entity that was working in and through and around you, like by comforting you, by teaching you, by guiding you, convicting you, revealing to you yeah. reality. And and you going back to that cycle of being convicted so that you confess, so that you desire again to be in line with the spirit, which, of course, we hope will become less and less often as you more and more submit and more and more trust that the spirit's actually leading you. Yes, I think that's a great way to sum it up. And I uh I, this conversation about the Holy Spirit is something that we need to continue to have, I think, within the other conversations that we have in yeah. the future, because it's so integral to the human experience. Well, especially because we're starting talking about James, right? Right. James looks like, oh, you know, we're just going to go back to a bunch of rules. Which, and that's not <laughs> what James right. is about. No, not at all. And so let's, we are going to be discussing in the next few weeks that we're going to do another sermon series on James. That's the next thing. Glenn's going to be preaching about James. So, which I just went through James with my kids. I love it. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, so be legalist. ready for that. You legalist. Guys. Yes, there we go. <laughs> I know. I'm such a legalist. Uh, yeah. And so the, so anyway, so read, read James the next few weeks um, and kind of get prepared for that peoples and uh, we can all get together. A uh, couple of things really quick. Uh, Palm Sunday, this Sunday, and also Easter Sunday at the Fairplex the following week. So be ready for that. There's a nine and 11 uh, service that you guys need to come on down to. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you haven't done it yet, it's a great way to kind of celebrate Easter. It's outside. It feels good. It's in the Fairplex. It makes me want to take a bet out on a horse because uh, we're there. So I keep expecting horses to run by. Uh, anyway, so uh, the betting's great. And um, yeah, so go check it out, you guys. And we're looking forward to next time. Uh, by the way, that wraps it up. Um, this is this has been a Purpose Podcast production. So uh, please come check it out. And or yeah, if you want to know about the other podcasts in our family, go check those out on PurposeChurch.com. You can do that. Uh, you can ch- follow us on iTunes. Please give us a five star review on iTunes as well. Uh, that'll help us a ton. So um, yeah, download, tell your friends, subscribe uh, today. And uh, by the way, next week we're going to have a special guest on, so be ready for that. That's going to be really fun. Um, Okay, so for my co-host, Caleb Spencer...